Turn your Bibles over to John chapter 1 if you want. Good morning, church. Look at all you bright, shining disciples out there this morning. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a great day. I love the book of John. I pray that that could be contagious towards you this morning. I hope that uh, also one of my goals and prayers is that uh, through a time of teaching like this, a workshop where we really dive into God's Word, it could motivate and inspire you and encourage you and ignite you to uh, be a student of God's Word. It's what will sustain you. Some of us have been around for over 30 years. I started in the movement in 1977, and I'm here today. And what has sustained me is God's Word. Through all the vicissitudes of the kingdom and the ups and downs of life and the challenges and the aging and all that stuff, all the victories and some defeats, God's Word has sustained me. And we're going to see that this morning. It is our bread. It is our food. And the, the Gospel of John is the unique Gospel. The other three are called the Synoptics Gospels. They go through a chronological order of Jesus' life. And yet John decided to write one that's different. He decided to write one to the Hellenistic mind of the day. To those people that were uh, influenced by the conquering hero of uh, Alexander the Great who conquered the known world and uh, Hellenized, inflicted in, in some ways and infused Greek culture into society, the worldview at that time, when John wrote, when the disciples uh, began the movement of Jesus Christ that we're a part of, was a Hellenistic mindset, all right? And so this book is so important to see how culture and faith blend together. And if we don't ever get in tune with the culture, if we don't understand how people are looking at things, the lens in which they interpret things, then we're not going to be able to truly affect them and get deep. We'll just stay on the superficial. That's why some people will take root for a while or become Christians. The seed will be planted but won't have root and won't grow up spiritually. And so John was the last uh, apostle to live. He died, as many of you know, on the island of Patmos. They tried to martyr him as they had all the other apostles they boiled him in oil but he hadn't written the book of revelation yet so god said i can't take you and i think john was saying take me take me i'm burning up i'm scarred i'll never be the same i want to die here in this oil i want to be a martyr like everybody else all the other apostles get to be martyrs i want a white robe in heaven i want to be a martyr god says no you got to write some more all right and so uh, he wrote the book of Revelation, but that was about 90 A.D. This was written, most scholars believe, between uh, 75 and 85. I think uh, 75 is a good date for the book of John. It's the last gospel written. And uh, so it, it has some very interesting things. We're going to divide up our time today between uh, in three parts, 45-minute shots. You get a break. You don't just get to hear the... The, the ski meister just for the next three hours, all right? I mean, you'd all be just rolling out of your chairs, just, you know, just dead by then. So we'll take breaks. And this first one, we're just going to see uh, John 1 through 4, Jesus is the Son of God. Next slide. And uh, I'm not going to uh, probably say that all along. I will probably uh, just encourage you to, uh, <coughs> do you want me to do it? Okay, I'll do it, because I don't like to say next slide. I'd rather just say next slide. 
All right. Now, this is the theme that I shared with you last night. So, but uh, guys, we know this. We've heard this. Sometimes it's good to read from the Message Bible. I was in a house church in Lincoln a couple of weeks ago. A brother was struggling from stuff, and we're starting to move on. He confessed some things, and different people shared with him, and then we were moving on. And his sister said, can, can we go back a minute? I've got a verse I want to share with the brother. I said, oh, you want to share a verse with the brother? Okay, go ahead. And she busted out the message Bible, you know, from James 1, about all how we have got to go through trials, and they come from God. And it was perfect for him. He just... All of a sudden, brightened up and said, that's God talking to me. And so sometimes we get a little bit dulled by the same translation. So, But, guys, this is the reason Jesus, uh, John wrote this book, so that we would believe in Jesus and have life. All right. Jesus is the Son of God, John 3.16. You know it. You know, I, I'm not that huge a Max Licato fan. Probably I am to a degree because I know him. But, uh, you know, his book, John 3, 16, is a good book. It's a good book. How many of you read it? All right. Got a few readers in here. The rest of you, you know, exercise that ability. Otherwise, you you know why I started reading? Because I was a hick from western Colorado, and you would have gotten very discouraged by my grammar back then. You know, I just talked the way that uh, our household talked, and it wasn't very good English, I'm telling you. And so I had to learn to, I, to uh, talk pr- more correctly. I still don't do great, but uh, it's much better than it would have been. All right? So diving right in here. The book of John has a lot of different ways to look at it. And so I'm going to give you different glasses today. You're going to get several sets of glasses. And nobody likes glasses because, you know, people sort of make fun of you that you're nerdy. And even when you get glasses, you try to get the hippest ones, you know. You can always tell somebody that loves their glasses, but they were sort of 80s models. And now we're in, the, you know, a different century even. But, uh, uh, you know, different lenses help you look at things. And one of the ways to look at the book of John is through this signs and sermons, signs and sermons, signs and sermons. The sign just points to the sermon, and the sermon teaches us something significant. All right? A lot of people love the book of John because all the signs, all the images, all the metaphors, all right? But they're just to point us to truth. They're to set us up. And so... We'll see these signs and we'll see the wonders. And there's seven of them. The first one, water to wine. We're going to get into that. The first six-pack in the Bible. And they were big cans. I mean, they were really pottery jars of about five gallons. And there were wine. So it was uh, high alcohol content. But there were six of them. All right? And Jesus made that. But it really represents a transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant. John chapter 4, the healing of the nobleman's son. All right? And that's just a lesson on salvation. We'll see that when we get to that chapter. Chapter 5, the healing of the paralytic. The best sermon I've ever heard uh, uh, about that chapter, John uh, Tom Brown gave 
our, uh, one of our sister churches in Atlanta. Tom was my campus minister in Boulder, and he, it was entitled, Do You Want to Get Well? And I'm going to share that with you. This is, that's a great, great lesson. But it talks about the freedom we have in Christ. John chapter 6, the feeding of the multitude. All right. The spiritual picnic. All right. It's about the abundant life. John chapter 6, the walking on water. This is the power of faith. You and I got to believe deep down in our souls at times we can walk on water. Without so, you're going to sink and you're going to get overwhelmed with life. There's times when you got to believe that God's going to lift you up above your problems, above your pain, above your hurt, above your circumstances, above the turmoil, above the chaos, above the crisis. And He can and He does. And that this, this passage teaches us. And that's not just pie in the sky stuff. That's God's power in our life. That's why we became Christians because we couldn't do it on our own. We admitted we need help, God. We need help. We're not the smartest. We're not the strongest. We're not the, you know, the prettiest. Oh, my God, that's true of me, you know. And even with steroids, we're not the strongest, all right? Some of you got real quiet. You've been messing with that stuff? (laughs) Power of faith. John chapter 9, sight to the blind. That's the light, light darkness. And John chapter 11, we'll get to that, resurrection. That's another reason I became a Christian, all right? And there's seven I am statements, all right? I'll try not to say all right all the time. If I don't say all right, I end up saying, you know. I mean, I got I got this uh, verbal crutch, and, and uh, you know, I, I just can't handle dead air, can't fit those pauses, so I just fill it in with noise, you know. And college students love to sort of pick on me about it. They'll sit there and, you know, in that sermon, you said, you know, 35 times. So so you didn't hear much, did you? Get up, Greg. Seven I am statements. John chapter 6, the bread of life. It's It's about bread, but it's really about the lordship of Jesus. And that's why they left. We'll get to that. John chapter 8, the light of the world. It's Jesus' priest. We need someone to be our sacrifice for sins. We need someone going to God for us. We need someone that can go into the Holy of Holies. We, we need someone that can give us the, the knowledge of the supernatural, the beyond, the God. And you guys are a long way from death, but I tell you, when you start getting close to death, you want to know what's out there, what's beyond, where am I going, who's going to take me there, and is it good or is it bad? All right? I watch people hang on for weeks and weeks because they can't die because they they don't have any faith. My daughter hates me to say this, but hey, when I'm about to go, just pull the plug, let me go, don't spend any money, I know where I'm going and I'm ready and I'm on my way. All right? 90% 90% of healthcare, you know, well, this is a little bit political. I'll tell you when it's my opinion. I'll tell you when it's scripture, okay? I'm not like professors that try to tell you it's all truth, all right? I'll tell you when it's, when it's just my opinion. You can take it for what it's worth. But, you know, our problem with healthcare is 90% of healthcare is spent in the last two weeks of life. If people would just let people go. Medicine cannot do miracles. In fact, they only have a... You know, a limited number of techniques. It's so amazing working in a hospital. You think they can do anything. They just do the same thing over and over, and it's just a couple of things. It's amazing. Just go. Let them go. 
All right? But get them ready to go before you do. That's why you're in this class. All right? Amen. The bread of life, the light of the world, John 10, the door and the gate. Jesus is the gate. That means he's the judge. You might not like how he judges, but how he judges is how he judges. And by the word of God, we'll be judged. And so you, you can't make up your own rules. Oh, I think they're saved. Why do you think that? Well, I have this vast experience, and I have this depth of feeling and emotion, and I love people, and I just think they're a good person not to go to heaven. Well, when you create a world, you can be the judge. You can judge your ants all you want. You can have an ant farm, you can judge them all, all right? But God judges this one through Jesus Christ, and he tells us how he's going to judge. And I'd like to change it. I have loved ones that won't make it unless they repent and change, but we're not the judge, right? He'd come to judge. You guys don't remember that song. That dates me. That's back in the 50s or 60s. Those were the good old days. Huh? I was just a kid, a toddler. All right. John 11, resurrection and life. Jesus is our Savior. John 14, way, truth, and life. Jesus is the prophet to guide us. And John 15, Jesus is the vine. That means he's our mediator. Someone's got to plead our case. Say, you know, that's the truth. That's the law. That's how he should be judged. But Jesus is the one that can advocate for us. And everybody needs someone to believe in us. That's why I love the book of Hebrews. My, my theme of Hebrews is the, the meet the Robinsons theme. Just keep going. That's, that's the theme of Hebrews. Just keep going. All right. But the way you keep going is you have a brother that sympathizes with you in your weakness. You have a, you have a, you have a Lord that knows how you feel. And guys, when you really are hurting, nobody knows how you feel. Even your B, BFF. All right. There's only one real BFF, best friend forever, Jesus. I hope I got that right. I, I don't know that. I don't text that way. I got, I got a Blackberry where I can still write whole sentences and continue to practice my good English, all right? I mean, we're going to raise a generation. You guys, I mean, it's all going to be a new language here soon, you know? And But anyway, I'm not going to pick on you on that, all right? Because I want you to listen to me. I don't want you to turn me off and not like me and get mad. All right. No, you're not that fickle, are you? If you are, shame on you. And I'm going to convict you before the end of the day. <laughs> Here's the outline of the Gospel of John. Oh, I'm the one that needs to do that. All right. All right. There's just so much to do up here. You know, and my, Doug's already made fun of me, all right? Good thing I'm not an insecure person. He says, yeah, you look like an old fogey. You know, the, 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 in Nebraska, we just melted four, four feet of snow melted from my front yard. I was just thinking, should I bring long sleeves or a short? I'm glad I brought a short sleeve shirt, you know. I mean, think we're a long way away from you guys out there in cornland, all right? So, um, I don't care what Doug thinks, all right? Because I only care what God thinks. And that's all you should care about. I know you care about what Mike thinks, but care more about what God thinks, all right? All right. <laughs> Yeah, I've always been accused of hyper-spiritual, haven't I? Yeah. 
Now, don't distract me, hush. John chapter, the outline of the Gospel of John. John 1 through 4. And I, this is true. John is trying to get across Jesus is the Son of God. I was walking in with one of the sisters. She said her professor, you know, talking about holistic education. She's getting a master's, and they're just sort of blending Buddhism and Hinduism. There's such a syncretism going on in our society today of all the different religions, as long as you believe these general things. Well, I'm going to show you from the book of John that that's worthless, and there's only one Savior, all right? And I don't say that to be exclusive. I don't say that to be a a rebellious, politically incorrect person. I'm saying it because that's what's true. And you're going to see why. All right? Jesus is the only Son of God. John 5 through 12, we're going to see that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of nature. He's Lord of life. He's Lord, and we're going to see that. And then, we're in those, then, then the third part today, in 13 through 17, when you're really tired and you're wanting to go to lunch, I'm going to convict you about what to be, a, what it's like to be a true disciple. No, I'm not going to convict you. I'm going to inspire you. All right? Everybody thinks I'm a hatchet man. I'm, I'm not. I'm a teddy bear. That's why they gave me that fluffy bear. All right? And then we looked at the cross last night from John 18 and 19, and uh, tomorrow we're going to talk about resurrection, John 20 and 21. So you're going to get the whole book this weekend, all right? A pretty big casserole, all right? So you got to hang with me here. Here's the outline by chapter. And uh, you, this, 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 is, this is good stuff. If you can get the clothesline, then you can hang the clothes on it. All right, if you can get the structure, then you can fill in underneath. But if you never get the structure, if you never get the storyline, that's why some people go through classes and they take tests and they never got the big picture and the general concept. So they're getting all this little stuff and they don't know where it fits and what category to put it in. All right. And a lot of times you learn all these elements when you're so- freshman and sophomore. And then when you're juniors and seniors, you get the big picture and you're like, why didn't they tell me that as a freshman? It would have all made sense then. I've been so confused for years. All right? And some of you are confused for year after year like Jake and have to go five, six, seven years to college. All right? So I love him. That's why I pick on him. You know, the only way you bond with people is through uh, food, fun, and fighting. No, it's brain theory. That's what food, fun, and fighting. That's why some families, they got to fight or they don't feel connected. Some people, they got to eat, and they don't feel connected. Some people got to have fun, and that's why we're going to have fun today, all right? There's no food, and, you know, I'm done fighting. I surrender, and so let's, uh, let's uh, have fun, all right? Chapter 1, the Incarnation. We're, we're not people of the Incarnation. We don't get that excited about Christmas. We don't, have, we, we, we don't focus on God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. We're, we're, we're people of the cross. Our theology is deeply rooted in the cross. And that's my fundamental theology, death, burial, and resurrection. You'll, you'll see that. But the incarnation is what Hebrews is about, what, what John is about, so that you, can, you and I can connect with God. The cross sometimes scares us away. Last night I knew it would be heavy. It was quiet. Hardly any of you came up and said anything to me, you know. It wasn't your be- the best sermon you've ever heard, but you could have said something nice. You could have faked it, but, you know, you're just all introspective and you're heavy. and it's, You know, that's why I'm so glad I got that one out of the way. Now we can build up and have fun, all right? 
But you got to talk about sin, and you got to get heavy and get serious and sober at times. All right. So that was what that was about. But being people of an incarnation is very important. And the Greeks, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, they sought logos. They sought wisdom. They sought that knowledge that would transcend them. That's what Buddhist Buddhists. That's what Buddhists are trying to do too. You know, that's what Buddhists are trying to do. All right. I told you I'd make up words this week. All right. So what Buddhists, they, they, they want that, that transcendent understanding, that transcendent knowledge. All right? And Jesus comes along in one fell swoop. And John says, Jesus is Logos. Jesus is that knowledge above all knowledge. And he is. And he also says two other huge things in the first chapter. He tells us that he's full of two things, grace and truth. A church is full of truth will convict you, you'll be a dutiful, solid, soldierly Christian, but you'll be self-righteous towards other people. You'll judge other people. It'll be harsh. You'll get worn out. You'll burn out. You'll burn other people out. But a church that's full of grace is going to be sentimental, mushy. Sin's going to be rampant. You know, it's cheap grace, not real grace. But a church is full of grace and truth. It's going to be healthy and whole and balanced. God is both righteous and merciful. God is both righteous, merciful, and faithful, according to Matthew 23, verse 23. All right? The Pharisees lack that. Why the conflict throughout the Gospels, back and forth, this battle between Jesus and the Pharisees? Because they couldn't strike the balance. Some, and they hardly ever were merciful except to each other, to the good old boys club, all right? But they were always righteous and self-righteous towards the people, all right? We've got to get that right balance. That's spiritual maturity, all right? And I struggle with it. People confess, do I, am I, should I really challenge his brother to be convicted? Is he, has he got it? Or should I show him mercy at this point? Was that the hardest confession he's ever spoken was that really tough? A brother shared some things with me last night. I knew I'm probably one of the last people he wanted to admit his sin to. It took incredible humility. I, I respect him today immensely for sharing what he shared. Broke my heart, but I didn't want to weep because that would, you know, I just, I just wanted to love him and hug him and be love with flesh on it. Extend grace. God riches. At Christ's expense. All right? Full of grace and truth. Chapter 2. We better get through this here. Let's keep moving. Rocking and rolling, reeling and rocking. All right? Signs. Chapter 2, the first sign, the water to wine. What is a sign? We're going to see the definition as we get there. And this is really important. And then uh, he clears the temple. We're going to talk a little bit about worship this morning. You guys are okay. You guys have had some workshops. We're really working on it in uh, the Omaha church. The brothers and sisters went to a workshop in Wichita last month. They're going to a workshop in Kansas City this month. Dave Eastman's been out, you know. And uh, I want to talk about the sacred and the proclaim the, the profane there in chapter two. Chapter three, being born again, all oh, good stuff. You get to start over. You get the slate wiped clean. We'll go to that. Chapter four, true worship. The Samaritan woman, 
true worship, the kind the Father seeks. Chapter 5, the Lordship, the paralytic killed, and testimonies about Jesus being God in the flesh. Chapter 6, bread of life, he feeds the 5,000. Chapter 7, you still with me? You're looking up here? You're reading it along? All right. Stay with me now, all right? I, here, here's one thing we sort of struggle with. How do people get doctorate degrees? They learn to work hard mentally. You know, if we had a ditch that needed dug outside, some of you would try to impress the rest of us that you're a hard worker. And you dig until you just could almost fall over. And you try to impress the sisters that that brother can cut it, man. He, all right? And you work hard physically. But some of us, we don't work hard mentally. We're lazy. If, if we, if, you know, it's a good day, we'll do our homework. We'll, we'll do whatever we need to do. You gotta learn to work hard mentally. And it, for me, it's even harder work. You know, I always thought I was a slow reader. When you got a pile of books you gotta read, you become a fast reader. You just, you have to do it. Just like you gotta get done with something. You know, you push, you work hard mentally. I'm going to challenge you today for three hours to work hard mentally. I'm not going to apologize that this, these are, I'm going to throw a lot of information at you. It's going to be a lot, you know, because I'm going to challenge you to use the mind that God gives you. Even though, even if you're using most of it, the Bible says we use about what, 5%? There's 95% wasted out there. You know, that's that territory. I wonder what's going on out there. You know, who knows? We'll get to heaven and find out. All right. Chapter 8, light of the world. Chapter 9, light and darkness. He heals the man born blind. And that's one of the key stories in the Gospel of John, the man born blind. And we're going to see a very interesting aspect of that. The good shepherd. Oh, I'm going to excite you about the good shepherd. Oh, I got a good outline on the good shepherd. You can't wait till we get the, the good shepherd. All right. You haven't heard this before, all right? This is good Polish-Mexican scholarship right there, all right? All right? Chapter 11. People think us Polacks are dumb. You're going to see that in true, baby. You know, you're going to see us Mexicans. We, we, we bring it, all right? We can flip it, baby. We can flip it, all right? Chapter 11. There's a resurrection and the life. Oh, I love that story, especially for people who have... Anybody in here had someone they really loved die? Really loved them. Man, John chapter 11 is going to be your good stuff. All right? Chapter 12, the coronation, Jesus' triumphant entry. John chapter 13, oh, I love that, a washing of feet. Feet are the ugliest part of a person's body. I'm serious. Have you, have you ever really just examined a foot... I mean, people that are podiatrists, foot doctors, there's something wrong with them. There's a little, uh, you know, you know, and there would probably be some guest here. Well, I'm not the regular minister. You know, don't don't blame the church for me. All right. Chapter 14. Peace. Peace. I'm the way, the truth, and life. Any of you not peaceful this morning? Full of angst, full of anxiousness, full of worry, full of dread for the future. Tell you, without Jesus, you ought to be. The economy sucks, you know, stinks. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll say a better word. It's not good, all right? It's not good, all right? 
I mean, we're going to see peace this morning. It's going to be so many good things. Fifteen, fruit, remaining in Christ. Sixteen, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter. Seventeen, prayer and unity. Eighteen, denial, Judas, Peter, and Pilate. Nineteen, crucifixion. Twenty, resurrection. Twenty-one, restoration. There's a, memorize that. All right. It's on the website. You know, and I'll give you this, somebody, and you can make it for everybody else. All right? So, but memorize that. Have that outline. We study the book of John with people. Do we know what we're teaching them? All right? Do we have a guide? Do we have a map? That's the outline. You should get that. You should memorize it. It's it's not that many points. All right? We can all do it. All right? Here are the motifs. Motifs. The motifs. And some of the concepts in the book of John that make it really unique. This light darkness. There's little innuendo of light darkness. Nicodemus came at night. When morning came, Jesus went so-and-so. Read all the, the inflection in this book about light and darkness. And you'll see some. it's, it's going to highlight something that's important. We read over so much that's not important. You know, we've got to slow down and sort of see that motif. The cycles of signs and sermons. The I am passages. This is, this is Jesus said. There's seven of them. There's more than that, but there's seven complete ones. He says I am several other times. When Pilate challenged him, he said I am. You know, you're the king of the Jews. You say I am. But these seven are Jesus saying I'm God. The audacity. A carpenter. From Nazareth. All right. I mean, we're talking a town in California that hardly anybody's ever been to. I've been a lot of towns in California. Never been to Eureka. I hear they make vacuums there. All right. All right. But, you know, can anything good come out of Eureka? I'm sure there can. I'm sure there's lots of good that's coming out of Eureka. All right. But if someone from Eureka said, I'm God, I am, I am, you're like, you ain't. And Jesus is saying, I am, it's good. And life, 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 all the way through the book. Beloved disciple, why didn't John just say, me? It's sort of. It's sort of, you know, like one of these athletes is interviewed and, you know, and it's like, well, it speaks in the third person. I mean, who are you talking about? You're right there. You know, is there something wrong with your head? You're, you're describing somebody in your head? I mean, third person speech is a little weird, you know, and yet John does it and it's for literary effect to get our attention. Okay, and sometimes it's for him to to express things in a humble way. He, 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 you know, he wants to say he beat Peter in the foot race to the empty tomb, but he doesn't want to say I didn't. It's a disciple that Jesus loved that outran that fat, slow fisherman. You know, <laughs> but then he has some humility and he says, but. When I got there first, I was afraid to go into the tomb by myself. You know, I'm a little afraid of the dark. So the fisherman came in, and he just went right in, and then I followed him. Well, no, I didn't follow him. I looked in, and then I went in. 
So it's good stuff. Knowledge. Jesus' Logos. Let's read together. Turn your Bible to uh, uh, John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word. Does that sound familiar? In the beginning, God created. Turn your Bible, uh, hold your Bible there, and in a minute we're going to go to Proverbs 8. And I'm telling you now because my mind's running so fast and I don't want to forget to go to Proverbs 8. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This literally is, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. The Logos was with God in the beginning, and through the Logos all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was light. And without that life, that Logos, there'd be darkness. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 8. And this is this is a cool verse. You can you can you can flip this one out on people sometimes, you know, and say, hey, did you know this is about Jesus and logos? No, I didn't know that. I can see that you're a prophet. Where should I go to church? The L.A. Church of Christ. All right. Good. All right. Proverbs chapter eight, beginning of verse twenty two. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works, before his deeds of old. I appointed from I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. Verse 24. When there was no oceans, I was given birth. When there was no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills were given birth, before he made the earth or its fields, or any of the dust of the world. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon of the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was the what? The craftsman, the artist, the creator, the designer. That's Jesus. That's Logos. He's made the beauty for us. All right. I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight. See, Jesus always delights in God the Father. All right. He's he's God's biggest fan. He says, I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his pleasure. And that's how we got to be pleasing God. Rejoicing at his whole world and delighting in mankind. The wisdom that made the world, that's Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's who made everything that's beautiful in the world before the world was fallen. That's the Savior that you and I have. And the next uh, thought in in chapter 1, because there's so many chapters, we're going to be cranking through this, but you're going to have several outlines. I gave you a a little more in-depth outline. I I went through, I have very in-depth outlines here that I just condensed so that we'd only have three hours together and there wouldn't be just this mutiny and me talking to my daughter and she giving me that look, Dad, let's go. Let's go. Grace, she's not doing that right now. I mean, you know, if I didn't... Condense it down. Distill it. All right? Grace and truth. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only 
who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Are you full of grace and truth this morning? Do the people close to you feel grace? I sent out of the ministry in 2005. I devoted my life to the International Churches of Christ, helped build the movement for 25 years, and then I sinned. And I was out of the ministry. And, you know, I thought I'd probably have hundreds, maybe thousands of people extend grace to me. We're not a very gracious group. I love this group because Mike is one of those people that really extended grace when I needed it. When I thought God had, was done with me, that I had sinned out, I was, I was no good anymore. That I was all Judas, not just a little bit of Judas. Doug extended grace. Got on a plane and come, come to see me. Come to lo- came to love me. You know, I'll never forget that time. I needed him. I wouldn't have made it. I'd have given up. It would have been over. I thought my life was over. I thought the day I confessed my sin, I, I, I said for a few years, that's the day I died. I thought it was over. I'm reborn, baby. All right? I, I'm, I, this is my comeback tour. All right? All right? I'm back. But I didn't, I didn't think I was going to come back. Yeah, all right? So... Be full of grace and truth. I'm trying to be that for other people. Boy, I was sure full of truth for a while. <clears throat> really good bark. All right. I'm going to give you give you an illustration tomorrow. That the oh, I'm holding it. I got to save it. It's just too good. I, we got to share it in church on Easter. All right. Verse 17. For the law was given, and law is good. According to Romans 7, without the law, we wouldn't know what sin was. All right? We, didn't, we wouldn't know we were separated from God. We wouldn't know it was wrong. We, we, we would just be, you know, ambiguous. We'd be confused. But because of the law, we can know what's right and what's wrong. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Oh, praise God we live in the Christian age. You shut me down, huh? All right. Well, I got another one. I'll play with this one. Hello? Well, I'll just talk loud. I'm not yelling at you. I just want you to hear. All right? All right. Okay. Full of grace and truth. Next slide. All right? Full, an, an acrostic. Focus on Christ. If you want to be full of grace and truth, focus on Christ. All right? Because he has the perfect balance always. Focus on Christ. Be unbound by law. You've got to respect law. You've got to be convicted by law. But you can't be a legalist. Poor brothers and sisters that are just bound by law, they're just always guilty. God didn't intend for you to live in guilt. Jesus died for you to feel forgiveness, for you to be able to throw off that weight and not constantly walk with it. I mean, some people are physically slumped over after a while because of the guilt. And the shame. Look at old people. You, you can tell their life story sometimes by their posture, poor things. All right? Because of the guilt. Unbound by law. Led by truth, though. You love truth. You'll listen to truth. You'll let truth cut you. You'll let truth change you. You'll be transformed by truth. All right? 
I mean, tell the preacher, come on, give me some more of that truth. Uh, you're almost there. You've almost got down to my heart. You've almost got down to my soul. You've almost got through my hard, thick, stubborn mind. Come on, bring it on, brother. But we're sitting there, back off, back off. You know, don't be afraid. Embrace the truth. Love that truth, all right? Hold the truth. You with me there? And you're saying, Craig, I'm not a football player. You talk like you're a coach. No, I'm talking like I'm something trying to help you fight an ugly spiritual battle. All right? And sometimes that sounds like a general. Sometimes that sounds like a coach. Sometimes that just sounds off. All right? All right. Led by truth. Loved by God's grace. You know, Gordon Ferguson told me years ago, he said, Greg, Always make Mandy and Megan and Kathy feel loved. Whatever you do, make them feel loved. You know, I, I uh, Mandy wanted an Easter basket. My wife's the most thoughtful person. She made everything special, and she made these beautiful Easter baskets for the girls growing up. And Mandy said, Dad's coming to town. Is he going to bring me my Easter basket? And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, i got to stop over in Denver i got to carry this Easter basket through the airport. And, I mean, it looked cool, but if if Kathy was carrying it, it would be cool. Everybody would have come up, oh, who's that for? If I'm carrying it, they're like, that's gay, man. You know? And so I put it, I put it in this bag that didn't squish it. But covered it up, and I got it here. So I got an extra bag. If you need it, I'll give it to you, because I'm not taking a basket back, all right? Amen. Jesus is. What is he? He's Logos, the Word of God, verse 1. The Word that created, the Word of wisdom, the Word. Guys, we've got to become so Jesus, so we have wisdom, so we have truth, so we have understanding, we have knowledge. Let me tell you the truth. Most of us are just stupid. We just don't know how to think. When I'm training people for the ministry, mostly all you do to train someone for the ministry is teach them to think. Because Satan screws you up. You don't know how to think. We think the way our parents thought. And God bless our parents. They did the best that they could. But what was their goal for us? For us to do better. They don't want us to be like them. They want us to be more. Right? And so we got to go beyond. we got to think like Jesus. Life. Jesus is in, in verse 4 and verse 14. He's the Son of Man. He's the one and only Son. He's the flesh. The glory of the one and only. The glory of the one and only. When you see Jesus, you should see the glory of God. Thank you. That's going to throw out my voice. All right? Jesus is the glory of God. Hebrews 1 says, In in the past God spoke in many various and different ways, but now He has spoken to us through His Son, who is the exact radiance or representation of God's glory. Some of you don't feel connected to God because you're not seeing the glory of Christ enough. John tries to give that to us through words. The light of life. That really is a reference in the Hebrew mind. Anytime you hear light, you think of Messiah. The light that is going to come guide us out of the darkness. The light like Moses that 
guided us through <coughs> the Red Sea and through the desert, the light of life. All right? And in Greek, it's the Christ or anointed one, the true light. In verse 14, 18, and 33, and 49, in just this one chapter, in just this one chapter is Logos, life, light, Lord, Lamb of God. All right? He's trying to get across to us in the very first chapter, the introduction to the whole book. This is who Jesus is, and this is awesome. Everybody's looking for logos. Here he is. Everybody's looking for what real life is. Here it is. Everybody's looking for light to guide their way. The Buddhist and, the, and everybody else. Here it is. And somebody's looking for someone to give them some leadership in their life. A Lord. It's going to give them some strength. And that's what Jesus is. The Son of God. The one and only. And someone to save them from sin. The Lamb of God. The one Moses predicted. Deuteronomy 18, 15, and 18. You've got to look at that verse. The Jews, the Hebrews, held that verse. That was their messianic key verse. The prophet is coming. The prophet is coming. The prophet is going to save us. And that prophet, according to John, is Jesus. Amen? And you and I, we look back. Can you imagine waiting and waiting and waiting century after century after century for Messiah? And you getting to be in the age when he came? Or, like us, getting to look back and know the history and know who it is and not be lost? It's awesome. And in this first chapter, it's just... One chapter, this is a rich chapter, he wants to get across the idea. In the ancient world, you needed three witnesses to prove something to be true. In the ancient mindset, they took testimony for truth. In our society, in the modern world, the worldview is empirical, objective truth is what's uh, accurate. And so we... If you can do an empirical study or an empirical experiment and it's consistent, it happens over and over, then it goes from a hypothesis to a postulate to a truth. All right? Philosophically, that's how it works. And so in our modern world, we think we, we have a worldview that defines truth as experiment, an experiment that continues to prove itself true. All right? And that doesn't always happen, and so now we're in what's called a postmodern world. But most of our worldview is modern. That isn't what the worldview was in Jesus' time. They believed something was true. I mean, absolutely, unequivocally, unarguable, true to live your life by if three people stated it and saw it. All right? If you had three witnesses. So John starts off this book and says... I got eight, ten. How many you want? All right. I got a lot more than three. I got John the Baptist saying this is the Son of God. I got Andrew saying this is the Christ. I got Philip saying it. I got Nathaniel saying it. I say uh, Jesus is saying it about himself. The Apostle John saying it. Creation says it, and the Spirit of God says it Himself. So, you know, we read over that. I read over the all the. There's there's a couple of lists in John of witnesses, and I always thought this is sort of boring. Why does he care? I know John believed in Jesus. I believe, I know the apostles believed in Jesus. He's telling us this is true, all right. And to the ancient reader, that's like, whoa, maybe I better listen to this. Maybe this is big. Here's the definition of a sign, all right. 
points to something else and describes something beyond. Signs are something that points beyond itself to something greater. Wine is a symbol of joy. The signs in the Gospels are to point us to God and to confirm the deity of Christ. What did these guys testify? Andrew said Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Philip said Jesus is the one Moses, the prophets, wrote about. Nathaniel said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, King of Israel. John said Jesus is the Lamb of God to take away sin. And Jesus uh, is baptism in the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus cleared the temple in chapter chapter 2 also. All right? And I want to want to hit hit on this because we, we're too casual. Last Sunday, I was embarrassed. We had this little girl that during communion got up from her seat and walked from the back of the church to the front to give her little friend something and walk back. Then that Sunday night, we had another service, our, our, our youth college service with Big City. She did the same thing, got up. Not even during communion, just gets up, walks down the aisle. And she's cute. And I know mom's sitting back there thinking, isn't my daughter cute? She's just so cute. Yeah. And the proverb says your kids are foolish. And that's why you got to train them and discipline them. The kids are full of folly. And that was foolish to distract us. Because when we come together as one, this is sacred space. In our church, we have Bible class 930 to 1030. And then from 1030 to 1145, we have service and we have our kids except for the babies and the toddlers in there because i want to teach our kids what it means to come and worship and i want to teach parents to teach their kids this is quiet time this isn't your time we don't worship you kid we worship god and you're going to learn to sit there and shut up and learn what's sacred because there's going to be a time in your life you got to sit there and shut up before judges, we had one of our our poor members raise four awesome kids that got married. And they're just awesome kids. And they have a fifth that got sentenced to 49 years in jail. Gosh, two weeks ago, it was tough. Worst day of their lives, trying to help them through this stuff. I was very proud of him, though. He's taken responsibility. You know, he just showed that judge the greatest respect. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, I did. And the judge must have asked him. I, I was getting upset probably ten times over and over. And I'm sure he's just covering himself so that there can't be any appeal. Do you understand these charges? Do you understand by what's happening by pleading guilty? And I just want to say, enough! I mean, you just drilled this kid. You pounded him. You've just broken him. He's crushed. He's admitted it. But you know, that kid learned from his parents when to submit to authority. He wasn't sitting there with some punk attitude. All right? And you and I got to teach there's a sacred time. There's a God Almighty with all authority. And we gotta learn to worship. We're not we can we can we've learned to praise worship because we go to football games, sporting events, we could be hyper. But you get tired being hyper. Jesus consumed with zeal for God's house. 
It says there in John 2. Psalm 69, verse 9, zeal for your house will consume you. The temple was to be the house of prayer, not a house, not a market. And so Jesus overturned the temple. He was, he was angry about the extortion of the pilgrims making money off the people. Five points of worship. We only got a couple more pages. You hanging with me? You working hard mentally? I'm working hard. I'll work harder. All right? Five points of worship. This is just an aside. I think worship should have these five points. Praise. And it's from the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed. Hallowed. Praise. I'm not down on praise worship. I need it. I love it when the church is up before I preach. All right? Then my goal is just not to take them down. Most of the time, in the old days, I got up trying to preach. I had to pick the church up and then preach. Now with praise worship, they're already up. It's awesome. All right? Secondly, the preaching, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May you reign on earth. May preaching inspire, move, challenge, excite a movement to move, to change the world. Why am I a minister? I got my focus on that this week, telling these kids that had come to town, I'm a, I'm, I'm a good hippie. All right? I was raised in the 60s. I'm not a drug hippie. I'm not a sex hippie. I'm a God hippie. The hippies looked at the world and said, this, this is not good. We can't trust government. We can't trust anybody. This isn't good. And they protest. And some have said, well, this isn't good, and we're going to fix it. And we're not going to ch- fix it politically. We're not going to fix it, you know, in other ways socially. We're going to fix it spiritually because that's the only way to really fix something. And this movement, guys, look at our history. We're started by a bunch of God hippies. All right? And I'm trying to look for the rest of the God hippies in our movement. All right? Is there another generation of God-moving people, mission people, that are going to change things? All right? Or are we just a good, happy church? Getting married, having babies, getting old, dying, going to heaven. And not taking too many people with us. Let's get some crowns with jewels on it. Amen. People are still lost. People hurt and people are praying every day. Lord, lead me. Lead me to the light. Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. We're totally dependent on God. I don't know what your contribution is, but it describes how grateful you are to God. How much you know your daily bread, your job. And I'm hearing about people that have been at jobs for a long time losing them. I'm not taking it for granted. Praise God for daily bread. Amen. The presence of God, that's what communion is. Forgive us our sins, not sons. Yeah, forgive our sons too, but I don't have any, so that's easy to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's that's communion and purpose, though. Worship has a purpose to save. Your, for yours is the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. John 3. We're almost done. John 3. Here's the outline. New spirit. You've got to be born again, Nic- Nicodemus. New faith. No longer the teaching of Moses. We're moving on. It's now Jesus is the Son of God. All right? New heart, though. Light darkness. You've got to repent. You've got to come to the light. You gotta overcome your fear and let that, let God, let everyone see that, that, uh, the deeds you did were evil. And then new Lord, John the Baptist, all through every gospel is telling us Jesus is the Son of God. 
He's not, but Jesus is. He's the groom. Oh, yeah. I can't say that. i got to move on. Worship. Promise. This is chapter 4. Another outline. Promise. The living water. That's what Jesus promised the Samaritan woman. And this is a, that's, that's a chapter about prejudice and overcoming barriers, too. It's a great Bible talk. You've probably heard it. Amen? But the promise is I'm going to give you living water that wells up in your soul to eternal life. You know how you're going to get to heaven? God's going to put something in you, a seed of him, and it's going to grow up into salvation, take you to heaven. Amen? And so... The promise of the Holy Spirit, the price, though, is to be a true worshiper. All right? Who worship? The thirsty, the tired, the hungry, and the promises you'll be filled. You're tired, come to Jesus. If you're tired and you're hungry, come to Jesus. Be a true worshiper. But the purpose, as Jesus said, his purpose was what? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And the disciples said, who fed him? Where'd he get lunch? We went into town to buy lunch. He's out here talking to a woman. Can you believe who he's talking to? This is a bad woman. She's probably trying to proposition our Lord. We need to run her off. Right? And Jesus loved her. And she became the person that saved the whole town. You know, when I go on campus to share my faith, I'm looking for that woman. That if I, we convert her at my, on my campus ministry when I started at the University of Colorado, her name was Penny Neal. After about five years, Tom Brown shared a sermon and said, okay, Penny was converted. She converted this person, this person, and this person the first year. And then they converted. There was a whole line of folks. And the next year, Penny converted this person, this person, this person. There was a whole line of folks. And by the time we drew the spiritual tree of Penny Neal, it encompassed the whole ministry. It was amazing. I mean, in some ways, I owe my soul to just this quiet, blonde, sweet disciple in the San Francisco church. Because she changed. It changed us all. The same, the, 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 most all ministers are just domino effect, guys. You convert the person that just brings the rest of them. Amen? The purpose, true food, harvest. And the praise... They're filled with Jesus. Five-point worship. All right. Praise. Preach. Prayer. Presence. Power. I like peace, don't I? Spirit of, how do you worship in spirit and truth? All right. That's the outline again, but it's worship. Okay. And now, wrapping up, Jesus is the Son of God. Why? These first four chapters say he's unique because he came from heaven. He came to die and to be a sacrifice for your sins. The miracles of Jesus in the book of John confirmed that he was sent by God. Hebrews 2 and verse 4 says that. And so what is our response? Do you believe with all of your heart? We only, we only ask it at baptism. Let's ask it over and over. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? He died for your sins and God raised him from the dead. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Oh, that, that's the anchor for your soul. All right? And does Jesus' life inspire you? Are you motivated to love Jesus? Let's say a quick prayer. God, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these students of your words. Thank you for these disciples that are taking time out of their schedule 
to do what's most important, and that's to know you better. Bless them for that. Lift them up. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'll take a 10-minute break. All right? All right. All right.